Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you today? I am great. I can't believe we are heading into April. It's like, where has the year gone? And um, things have flown by so fast. And my uh, twins just turned 16 yesterday, which is just crazy. Just a reminder of how fast time goes by. I, you know, remember um, running Boston, uh, you know, the first time I ran it after they were born. Well, it was actually uh, two years after they were born um, was the first time I ran it because that year after they were born, I was pregnant with my other, with, with Kira, my younger one. So I just, I still remember going back to Boston the first time when they were babies. And that um, doesn't feel like it was that long ago. So how, how, how much things have changed. So just a reminder of how quickly time goes by and how quickly we're approaching Boston again this year. Yeah, for sure. I think we're both a little bit in denial. I think part of it too is it's, we've both been really busy outside of running. So um, I, I feel like for training for Boston, I'm absolutely doing the best I can with what I have. And nothing is more true than this year for me, because in addition to starting a little bit later due to having COVID in January and just not feeling the same and frankly, still not feeling the same. I don't feel terrible, but I just don't feel like I can get, you know, into that gear real well. So I'm doing the best I can and just running the miles, but also outside of running, um, you know, speaking of time flying, I'm doing a lot of travel because my, my oldest is going to college in the fall and he's trying to make a decision. And so we have been visiting schools for him to figure out where he's going to go. And it's a really exciting time and um, super fun to visit campuses. I keep joking that, um, oh, I could really see myself here because <laughs> I mean, of course it's not about me, but it's so such a time capsule to, to go back and, and visit as a parent. Um, for those who are listening, you've done that. I'm sure you understand. And those who have not, when you do, it's super fun. It's just um, the travel's taken a lot out of me. So this is a long-winded way of saying, yes, I am with you. Boston crept up quickly and suddenly we're two weeks away. <laughs> Less than two weeks. And I just want to interject a little um, a little story. I remember you were at um, your alma mater visiting with your son and you um, sent me a picture. You texted me a picture. Why don't you tell talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. So this is crazy. You know, whenever people ask you and I, when we started running, we always reply with the story. Well, I started running in law school up and down Connecticut Avenue to relieve stress. And similarly, even though we didn't know each other, your exact reason, I started running in law school to relieve stress. And actually, I completely forgot that I actually used to run around the indoor track at my college starting probably senior, yeah, definitely senior year because I was abroad my junior year and I blanked out. I blacked, I just, I have no recollection of it until we took the tour and we got to the building and there was this track and I, you know how smell has such a strong, um, creates such a strong memory. We walked in and I smelled the feet of this now very old athletic building. And I looked at the track and I thought, holy cow, I used to run laps here every Tuesday and Thursday between classes. And it was a walk jog and became a jog. And I think I enjoyed being inside because it wasn't crowded. And frankly, I think I was embarrassed because I had never really run before for fitness. It was just like punishment or just, you know, sort of some sort of addendum to my other exercise routine. And I felt weird um, being out and about on the campus. So the track the indoor track felt safe and controlled. And 
yeah, I completely blacked out and had no idea, blanked and had no idea that I had done that. So Lisa, I immediately snapped a photo and sent it to you and said, oh my gosh, I actually used to run here. And isn't that weird? <laughs> you know, but what's even weirder is when you sent me that and you said, you know, I used to run here. I forgot about that. I had a flashback to remembering that similarly, <laughs> I actually ran at Emory a few times um, with, uh, and I remembered when you sent that to me that I, it wasn't indoors, it was outdoors, but I remembered, oh my gosh, I went for a few runs with a friend of mine who lived, who lived nearby. Um, and, and we did a few runs together, Mark Bennett, if he ever listens to our podcast, like he was like the first person who ever, who I ever ran with. And I thought that wasn't in law school. That was in college. That was same thing my senior year. So I did, I wouldn't say regularly, but I remembered when you sent that to me thing, oh my gosh, you know what? I did do a couple of outdoor runs with my friends. Um, senior year. So, um, so I think we still have that, that commonality of actually, uh, you know, blocking out that we actually had run a little bit and, and dipped our toe in the running pool in college, but really didn't start in more, more seriously and regularly until we were in law school. So that's fun. That's crazy. That is so crazy. I, yeah, I, I'm really sitting here listening to you thinking that is nuts that we both have a an exact shared experience even to the extent of what we don't remember so it's really really funny fast um, forward now how many years <laughs> too many years to count right like probably 26 years I think for me and a couple more for you but fast forward and here we are and I'm getting ready to head in, into Boston again this year which you know look how far things have come and um, we should also you know give a shout out to our runners we're back to spring racing and for the most part spring races are back and we um just recently had two you know pretty big uh big races on the calendar one was the new york city half marathon uh and one was the bna uh marathon and half marathon that is here in our area and we've had our runners who really were targeting these races actually get to get back to these races and we had some really great success stories new york city half for whatever reason i think we had you know runners who had really good training cycles and the weather was good and everything kind of came together we had some great performances at the new york city half and then similarly at the bna half last weekend again weather weather was a little a um, little more challenging um, but we had some really strong performances there so it's been really nice to see um, as we lead up to boston to see uh, some of our runners um, even those who obviously aren't targeting boston or the, this was their target getting back to, to sort of the normal rhythm of, of, of running. And that's something I was thinking about earlier today too. This is the normal rhythm of our year of March comes and, you know, we start getting excited about Boston and then April 1st hits. And we're really, you know, we missed that uh, the last couple of years where we, we even said, I think on this podcast, how it felt like um, weird to not be in that regular rhythm of our year. And, and we're starting to get back to that with ourselves and with our runners who, who got to run the last few weekends. Yeah, for sure. And to your point also with respect to the performances, um, the weather was pretty ideal for, for a PR if that's what you were targeting. And conversely, there are a lot of fall races where runners don't have that benefit because, of course, a lot of early fall races in particular are really hot. So it is so dependent on weather. And I think as our runners head into Boston and as as our runners head into Boston and other races this spring, it is so weather dependent. So while a PR is of course always possible, even more possible in optimal conditions, conversely, when the weather isn't great, just do the best you can with what you have on that day. And, and certainly we can't control the weather, but when it works to our benefit, man, does that feel good. So we were super happy 
for those folks who were able to take advantage of prime running and racing weather last weekend. And we are crossing our fingers that that will be the case this weekend as many of our runners are doing Cherry Blossom. And uh, we'll be there too. And we're excited for that race. Again, our second time within the same calendar year, another race. Uh, it's going to be great. And Rachel Miller, who was a guest on our podcast uh, last week, she is the medical coordinator at Cherry Blossom. And we're always so proud of her for doing that. And a lot of elites are coming out, professional runners are coming out to run. And it'll be really fun because it's a kind of course where when you're running out, you can see them coming in a lot. So it's fun to kind of look for them um, while on the course. And for anyone running, we are not doing a meetup this year before the race. And that is because um, we have found as the race has gotten more crowded and also, of course, with weather being iffy and things like that, it is a little bit stressful for runners to find everyone and do a meetup picture. So we send out our race prep to all of our runners and we hope to see everyone finish and we hope, you know, that we can see people, but we don't want to stress anyone out by putting another thing on the list and asking folks to meet up beforehand. We know that everyone has a routine and we certainly don't want to disrupt that. Um, so before we... Um, Take it over to our next, our guest today. Uh, we want to share that we interviewed an incredible, incredible guest this week. Her name is Valerie Rogoshevsky. Val, she likes to be called. And um, she is running the Boston Marathon this year. And what's truly remarkable is that Val also ran the Boston Marathon 50 years ago. So Lisa, why don't you share a little bit about our guest, Val? Uh, yeah, and what I think is um, she, she shares with us on the podcast, which I, what I think is really um, notable is that you know, there is an iconic picture of the, of the women getting ready to run the first official Boston, first Boston Marathon. They were officially allowed to enter, so they have their bibs on F1, F2, F3, and there are seven women in that group, but there were actually eight women who ran, and she is the eighth, and the reason she wasn't in the picture, you'll hear on the podcast, is that she stayed in Hopkinton. She had accommodations in Hopkinton, so she didn't have to worry about um, you know, meeting up with everybody and, and having a place to warm up. She could warm up where she was. So I thought that was that was neat. But Val is is one of the original eight finishers from 1972. Um, she is from Minnesota, and uh, she actually placed in the top 10 at Boston three times. So she was sixth in 1972 in a time of 4:29:32, and she'll explain on the podcast um, why you know. What went into that finish time and what went into that finish? Um, she came back the next year to finish ninth in 3:51, so took off over 30 minutes off of her time. And then in 1974, she returned again and took off even more time, more than 30 minutes. She took off um, and finished eighth in 3:09:38. So um, this year, instead of lining up among uh, just eight female entrants, she's going to be uh, amidst. Uh, 14,000 other other women, as well as her two daughters, which we think is really special. So we're gonna turn it over to Val and um, start to get excited about Boston. Have a great week, Lisa. You too. Bye. Valerie Rogoshevsky, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Is it okay if we call you Val? Oh, please, that's what I like to go by, yep. Okay, great, Val, welcome to the podcast. We are beyond excited and honored that you're joining us today. We saw an article about you last week, along with a local news segment that we shared on our social media channels about the fact that you will be running on the 50th anniversary of your running of the Boston Marathon this year. And we just, we found your story incredible, as did 
all of the people who follow us on social media, the comments that your story elicited and the way we felt when we read it just channeled a lot of emotion. And we really were just so delighted to be able to get in touch with you. And we are so grateful that you're taking time today to speak with us. So thank you, Val. So thank you. It's my honor to be speaking to you. Oh, so um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background, including where you're from, where you live now, and um, how you got into running. Okay, sure. Um, My name is Val Rogoszewski, and I live in Minnesota, was born and raised in Minnesota. And um, I went to uh, St. Cloud State University, majored in physical education. When I graduated in 1969, somebody asked me, how fast can you run a mile? And I thought, well, I don't know. I've never timed myself, so I think I'll try it. So I went to a track and I was mortified to discover that I couldn't even finish the mile. Of course, now I know it was more a matter of pacing than anything, but, but still at the time, it really, um, it really gave me pause. So I bought that old book by Bill Bowerman called Jogging. And I started educating myself and jogging. And I kind of liked it, you know, but competition, there was, competition was not on my mind. Back then there were no sports for my, for women or girls, hardly any. And um, I just had never competed. And so that was not even a part of the mix. But then I met my husband, Phil, and he was a longtime athlete um, as a kid and, and through his, late 70s right now. And, and so uh, we then married uh, at the end of 71. And I was sometimes having a hard time getting out the door. You know, as much as I love running and other sports, sometimes it's just hard to take that step out the door. And so he said, what you need is a goal. You need to register for a race. And like I said, that was just not even in my mindset. But at that time, right when we first got married, we lived in the DC area, actually, in Alexandria, because he was at Fort Melbourne. So they had uh, more opportunities out there than Minnesota, frankly. And so there were these little one mile DC area road races, not road races, uh, track races. So I went to my first race and um, it was just a one mile. And there were only two of us women in that race. And I showed up in my, you know, my Bermuda shorts, my t-shirt and my, you know, sneakers. And my, op- my competition showed up in, a, in racing silks and spikes, you know, so I was a little bit, uh, uh, you know, put, not put off, but, but intimidated. That's the word I'm looking for. And so um, the gun went off and we, I just tucked in behind her and just stayed on her tail for the whole the three some laps. And then I out kicked her at the end. And I tell you, I was hooked. <laughs> I just had never experienced competition like that before. And it, it felt really good. You know, Gabe Merkin was there. You probably know that name. He's an old time um, race organizer and promoter for, for running. So um, that, was, that was a really fun thing. Well, then I needed another goal. And the only other races I had heard of race was Boston. And at that point, of course, women were not legally allowed to enter. But I had heard of women hiding in the bushes and jumping out. And I thought that would be a good thing. So this would be, you know, for 1972. And um, we got married the end of 71. And on the night of our marriage, I didn't feel well at all. And I actually had mono and I was in bed for the whole month of January. So that left just February and, um, and 
you know, March to get ready for the marathon. So I was severely under, <laughs> underprepared. But um, I think my longest run then might have been 16 miles. But about three weeks before the race, I heard that women were going to be legally allowed to enter. And so I did whatever, I, I don't know if it was a, you know, a, a, a mailing or what I did to try to get on the list. And I got a call from somebody from the Boston Athletic Association because uh, apparently the other women had all done a marathon and I think maybe even under 3.30, you know, and I had never done one before. But he questioned me about my training and thought maybe I wouldn't hurt myself or anything. So, um, so I was admitted too. So I was number eight. <laughs> we, we got in and uh, that, was, that was just really an exciting time. Were you disappointed you weren't going to be able to hide in the bushes and jump in? You know what? I hate to admit it, but that little thought was there because it was such yeah. a great thing for women to be legal. But my mind was so focused on jumping in the bushes and coming out. There was just a little bit of that. Yes. Yeah, that's that's um, that's really that's really funny. So so how did you prepare for that for that, um, you know, for that first Boston? What did you do? You said, you know, you didn't start until February and you really didn't get up to yeah. well, long enough, 16 miles. But when, what was going through your mind? How did you prepare? Yeah. But I did start okay, yeah. longer, so, longer runs. And then plus living in DC area, we went out to the hills and I was able to do some hill running. And I think that that helps a lot. So, but I still say even now that first marathon, I did a total of seven and a half marathons. And that first marathon was my most painful. It was really bad because I think of the expectations when the eight of us were there on the starting line I don't think we actually talked about it, but the expectation was there. You do not quit and you do not even walk. So that was in my mind and, and I carried through. <laughs> That's interesting you say that every um, woman that we've interviewed from that group of eight so far, so we've interviewed uh, Sarah May and Bobby Gibb and Catherine Switzer, um, every single one said, I had no choice. I had to finish that. I could not I, what would people say? You know, I had to prove that women could finish the marathon yeah. and whether or not, you know, it was a slow time or, exactly. I, but I had, I had to finish. Um, so that's so interesting uh, that you say that. So talk to us a little bit about that first Boston and, and the memories that you have of um, getting to Boston, going to Hopkinton. Talk, talk to us a little bit of, go take us back 50 years and tell yeah. us about that, that experience. Okay. So, like I said, my husband and I lived in DC at the time. So it wasn't that um, long of a ride. And so we went together and I had a cousin that lived in the area and she had in-laws that lived right in Hopkinton. So we actually were able to stay right in Hopkinton, which was handy. But in another way, it worked against me because I had no contact at all with the other seven. And, me, and Sarah May had arranged for this congregational church in Hopkinton to be where the women would meet. And then they took that famous picture of the seven out of eight <laughs> that were running that first year. And I'm the missing X. <laughs> but, um, but still, it was very, very convenient to be there in Hopkinson. And so the first time I saw them all was when we gathered on the starting line. They let us all be at the front of the starting line. And just to be there and be a part of that and that feeling of electricity in the air at this event was just wonderful. But I do remember once the gun went off, I never saw a woman the whole rest of the race. <laughs> Did you have any conversations that you specifically remember with the other women before the gun went off? I know there was a brief time because you weren't at the church with them. And by the way, make sure you get in the picture this time. <laughs> and um, 
But what um, conversations, if any, did you have with the other women? Yeah, I don't remember specifics, but I, like I said, this feeling about not quitting and not walking, I can't remember if that was spoken or maybe that was just going independently in all our minds. But, um, but I just remember that sort of excitement. And like you said, it wasn't too long before the, the gun went off. But um, just, and even at that time, I think there were only 11,000 total runners then. And so I had never seen that many people gathered in one spot for a race. So even that was pretty overwhelming and the helicopters overhead and, and that kind of thing. And then, and then when the, when the gun went off, just starting to, and trying to maintain my own pace, I, because I was slightly worried about finishing the whole thing since I had only run, I think, 16 miles before that. But um, I, I felt, I remember not feeling bad until, of course, Heartbreak Hill, that happens. But I think one of the reasons that made Heartbreak Hill so hard then is that I was determined not to walk, but I was also running so slowly that by the time I got to Heartbreak Hill, every single person around me was walking. And I was determined to keep up some semblance of what I called running at that point. And plus, I believe it was a really hot day. And so I just remember really, really feeling down and discouraged at that point. But, um, but then, then, of course, once you get to the top, you've only, what, got five miles or so to go into the finish line. And that, that revived me. <laughs> Back then, did you have a fueling plan, a nutrition plan? I mean, what did you have going into the race? Did you have, you know, any special gear, anything? Do you remember any preparations that you made? Yeah, I wasn't paying enough attention to that. Um, I did take an opportunity to drink every time I could on the course, but I don't think there was many, uh, there weren't as many stations that I remember going to people along the edge that had hoses and getting a drink from them without getting my feet wet. That was the hardest thing. They were always kind of careless with the hose. And, and uh, I just had this aversion to having wet feet. I was sure I would get blisters if my feet got wet. And then um, I remember little kids were giving out orange slices too. And I don't think I took any of those, but, um, but yeah, it was just a lot more unofficial then. I mean, there were no t-shirts, there were no medals, there were, um, you know, there were, uh, someone was taking pictures at the finish line though, so that was nice to have an official picture. Did you feel like uh, the, the the men on the course were supportive of you oh, running? Yeah. Sure, always, yeah. you know, and, and even in the time leading up to that, and, and afterwards, before it became common for women to be at races, the, the male directors and the male runners were always so supportive. I remember back in Minnesota after after that first Boston when I was racing in, in shorter races, most times I'd be the only one or just a couple women there. And so I would say uh, to them after the race, do you think next year it'd be possible to have a, a trophy for the female winner? And they said, oh, I'm so sorry. I never even thought of that. Give me your address. I wanna mail you one right now. So there was always a feeling of inclusion by the runners. And that's also great, just as a side note, how you handle that. Instead of coming at it from a place of resentment, you came at it from a place of suggestion, oh. which <laughs> is very powerful. Um, <laughs> so um, talk us through, you crossed the finish line. What was that feeling like for you? Oh, I was just uh, just so, well, not only happy, but really relieved, you know. But I was so happy to have accomplished what I wanted to do and, and to have not 
dropped out and not walked. I mean, those are my two criteria. And uh, looking back now, the time wasn't even that bad. It was a 429. And right now, boy, that's, a, that's an hour away or more from what I could do now. So, um, you know, I just felt so happy. And, and Phil and my cousin were right there. In fact, in the picture of me finishing, they're in the background because it was so much easier to see people at the finish then than, than of course it is now. And so it was just a real wonderful feeling of accomplishment and reuni reuniting with family and being given wonderful treatment that, you know, they made sure I had dinner and helped me walk. I mean, that was my hardest marathon. I couldn't even go down a curb facing forward for three days. And now here I am. Turn around, go backwards. <laughs> I know. Here I am, 75 years old. Yesterday, I did my last long run before Boston, 21 miles. And I'm fine today. I can do anything. But of course, I got to remember, I got to remind you that I am doing the run walk, the Jeff Galloway approach. So I just run 30 seconds, walk 30 seconds for the whole way. And boy, does that make a difference on your joints. <laughs> it's still a long time to be out there. So, yeah. so that's so good credit to you for, for putting in, for putting in that training. So tell us too. So after you finished that, um, you know, you mentioned, then you went back to Minnesota, you did some shorter races. Did you know right away you wanted to go back and run Boston again yeah. the next year? For sure. Because I mean, yeah. I'd been sick that whole three months before and I knew that I could do better and I really kind of liked it. So I went back to Minnesota and um, really, really started picking things up, going to shorter races, picking up my, my training over the next two years. Um, returning to Boston in uh, 73, I got a 321, I think it was. Yeah, 321. And so that really, that really felt good. Or no, that was a 351 in 1973. But still, that was a great improvement and it made me feel really good, like what I was doing was working. So I went back home and, and kept doing the same and more of it. And that really was a large part of my life. And I was married, but we had no children. And I was just going to school instead of working. So that may, gives you more flexibility as well. So running was really my life back then for a couple, a couple of years. And then- do you, do you remember specifically some of the things you implemented in addition to, of course, not starting off your season sick, which was what <laughs> happened to you in 72, yeah. Uh, could you share with our listeners some of the things that you did to knock your time down so much uh, each year? Um, you basically knocked your time down by over a half hour each year you ran yeah. it. Then over I the three thinking, years. This is just going to happen, you know? I just thought that was normal, <laughs> but I found out that wasn't the case. Well, I think I mean, it, it was um, picking up my mileage. And I didn't do a lot of speed work, except I jump in those little races. I think that suffice for speed work. But back then I didn't do any strength training and that is proving to be so important these days. And so that, you know, that would have helped, I think. But um, then in getting ready for 19, uh, oh, the end of 73, I had knocked it down another half an hour. Uh, half an hour, I did a 321 at the City of Lakes Marathon, uh, six months after that Boston. And so um, that was fun. I think that's the only marathon I ever won. <laughs> so I kept training. And the, before 74, the last three months, I had up my mileage to 70 miles a week. And then I was so actually surprised to get the 309. And I didn't know it then, but that was going to be my PR. 
you know, because later I kept training and I was shooting to get under three. But, you know, sometimes bad luck happens, so I never made that. But there was a really fun thing that happened in um, 1974 at the Boston race. I was running along, you know, feeling good, feeling focused. And all of a sudden I realized that I'd been running kind of next to this guy for quite a long time. And normally if that happens, you try to get away from them because they're breathing too hard or they're out of step or something. I just don't really like running next to the same person for a long time, but, but he was comfortable. And we both had the same idea about how much to talk. Like I can't stand chatting during a race, but a few grunts of support are really nice, you know? So, so we'd say, you know, hanging or, you know, just real quick little words of, of encouragement. So we stayed together for the last half of the race. And at the end, his wife got a picture of us together, a really nice picture. And it turned out this guy was also from Minnesota. And we have remained lifelong friends. And it was very, very sweet. And it turned out that that particular race was, was our PR, both of us. Um, that was our, our PR. And we didn't know it at the time, of course. I think we both had thoughts of, of bringing it down even lower. But that uh, I thought that was really a, kind of a fun thing. That's a wonderful story. And how nice that you stayed in touch. And did you race together when you went back to Minnesota? Did you see him at yeah, any yeah, other, any other races? We, did, we lived about 30 miles apart. So we would uh, okay. meet at certain races. And, and uh, yeah, it was fun. I remember... Um, he uh, he was always uneasy about going downhill. So if, especially if it was an off-road race, I could go downhills real easy. So I'd pull ahead of him on all the downhills and then he'd catch me on the uphills. <laughs> and he was 10 years older than me too. So so we were kind of equal in, in many ways. So that was really kind of fun. And we just had such kind feelings towards each other. Yeah. That's so, I think that's such a good uh, illustration too of not only the running community in general, but the Boston experience. I think everybody who's run Boston has a, a story about um, companionship with the other runners and just um, you know meeting people and then forging uh, relationships with them. It's a shared experience that's really special. And I think that's exactly. that's a great example of something special that happens is you know just like a magical weekend. So that's that's a great example. So so you ran in 1974 and then tell us what happened after 1974 with your running life, yeah. you know, um, where, 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 did, where did things go? I, we know you didn't get under three, but that's okay. No. 309 is still very <laughs> impressive. But, but, but what I was happened so after I was so energized and I knew I could go under three. And so for the next the three years I, I, for the next three years, I averaged 70 miles a week for the total three years, including days off. And so I was so focused and I remained injury free and I was really gunning to go under, under three. I, I went to the other races I did then in 76, I went to the Drake Relays, relays but I only got a 323 there. And then in 76, I went to the Culver City um, Marathon and got a 314. But then I was really ready for the women's nationals in 1977 in Minneapolis. That was going to be women only. And it must've been the AAU championship or I can't remember exactly who put that on, but it was the nationals for the marathon for women in Minneapolis. And I was so ready for that. And then three weeks before I got some viral infection in my lungs and just was really sidelined and I, I um, Recovered enough to run the race, although I probably shouldn't have, because I, I got a 314, which was okay, and that's a good effort. But after that, I think I had like a complete immune system crash. 
because I got asthma, I got allergic rhinitis, I got all kinds of things wrong. And essentially that was the end of my um, competitive racing. You know, I just was not the same person I had been before. So I, I stopped that kind of training, just tried to kind of get better. And, um, but I did, I did keep recreationally running. And, and then about a year after that, I got pregnant with my first child. And so I, someone asked me, weren't you devastated when you couldn't race anymore? And I thought, wait a minute, I don't remember being devastated. Why not? But I think it's because I had other things in my mind because I was pregnant um, and or and then nursing. I couldn't take any of the meds that would make me stop coughing when I would lay down at night. So for about three years, I had to sleep sitting up <laughs> because every time I would lay down, I'd cough, you know, from the asthma. So I think that's why I just didn't think about racing anymore because I had other other thoughts on my mind. So you had your beautiful children and that was a good distraction. Mm -hmm. um, and that probably, I would imagine, shifted your focus and a little bit of your identity. Whereas before you identified yeah. as a competitive runner, you then transitioned into becoming a non-competitive mother. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, your story, this part of your story, we think will resonate with a lot of our listeners right now yeah. because... So many people are um, dealing with uh, recovering from illness, uh, COVID or other unrelated COVID. illnesses, <laughs> right? And a lot of people are back to running and, and doing well, but some people are really struggling with getting back to exactly where they were. So hearing your story um, and, and recognizing that when that happens, there, there still is a future. Exactly. So yeah. talk to us yeah. a little bit about your life um, now. And tell us a little bit about your, your girls and um, what, when you started to return to running in a more um, competitive way as you are preparing to run Boston. Okay. Well, after I stopped uh, really competing and I had the two girls, I still was recreationally running and it was still important to me to do that because I needed it for my psyche, I think. Because I remember when they were very young, like maybe five and two or something. It was kind of almost terrible. But um, I would say to them, I'm going to go out to run. I'm going to be going up and down the block. You two behave. I probably let them sit in front of the TV or something, Sesame Street. If you need me, just come outside the door. I'm just going up and down the street. So even when I wasn't competing, it was just very important for me to get outside. So, and my husband supported it supported me very much all th during that time, the competition time and the recreational time. In fact, both of us, if we're, if we're being crabby with each other, we just say, why don't you just go outside for a while? <laughs> so that was- um, I think that so much resonates, that resonates with mothers everywhere, mother runners everywhere, though, that, that, you know, stay in the, <laughs> sit and watch TV, I'm gonna go on the treadmill, I'm gonna go out front and do some loops. I think that many mothers have done that. So that's, you know, that's, I think that that's timeless. Yeah, right. And, and knowing that they have access to you anytime is nice. But anyway, so then throughout the years, I mean, I'm talking from, I mean, I'm talking, my kids are like 43 and 38 now. So it's been all those years that I really haven't raced at all. Well, I, there's one, I am, I'm sort of, um, I have jumped in a couple little fun runs. And then um, 25 years ago, I came back to Boston for the 25th anniversary, but I told them when I asked for a number, 
And see, I, I don't qualify anymore. I just have to ask. <laughs> so I, I asked for a number 25 years ago and I told them that I've been having knee trouble and I would not be able to finish, but I would really like to be there. So they gave me a number that was very nice. And sure enough, I, dropped, I made myself drop out shortly after Wellesley because I just didn't want to injure my knee. And that was so that's your half marathon. When you said you did 17 and a half marathon, you did seven and a half marathons. Yeah. So that's yeah, your half. That's I was gonna ask what your and I just really that was so hard to drop out because that just is not my psyche. That's not my mentality. But I knew that it was it was good for my knee. And um so um so really this is my first feeling of being competitive since 1977. <laughs> And I'm not really being competitive, but this time I intend to finish. And this time I, I've done enough training so I can just stay focused on my goal. And my goal is to get under six hours. Can you believe that? And can you also believe that's going to be a stretch? Uh, I mean, really, I was, um, when I asked for a number this year, they said, well, the cutoff is six hours. Can you do that? And I said, oh, sure. <laughs> But I hadn't, I hadn't been timing myself at all. And I hadn't realized that performance slips that fast when you get into your 70s, that that, that was going to be a real stretch for me. And so, um, so I've been trying to you know, do that. But I think I'm going to have to depend on a lot of race day magic to get there. Oh, my gosh, Val, that's so funny, because that's the exact phrase that we use when we talk to uh, our runners and we share with them, especially and, and you, like every runner we know, including ourselves, when you practice the pace that you need to run on race day, it feels so much harder than when you have a bib on and you're actually running the race. And we call mm -hmm. that race day magic. And yeah, absolutely. You will have race day magic because everybody's going to be cheering for you, especially <laughs> because now you've had this uh, press tour. People are going to know when they see you on the course and they're going to start yelling, Val, Val. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> just like just like in 1972 when you were one of the only women, you're going to be a superstar out there. So are <laughs> you are you going to be running with your daughters or are they also running? What, well, what's I, the wanted them, I wanted them to also <laughs> run. <laughs> but they want to stay with me. They're, they're even going to do this 30, 30 thing, which is going to be a real, that's going to be a real act of love for them. Cause that's hard for them to slow down like that. And then I also have a cousin. So there's going to be four of us women. We might even have matching shirts on and that kind of thing. <laughs> but um, the other cool thing, one besides finishing in under six hours, I would, I didn't really know about the finish line. I thought, I thought, I don't want to finish after they take the finish line down, you know? So I was very worried because I knew I'd be starting at the very end. But now I got asked to start the elite women. I get to fire the gun to start the elite women. But the most exciting thing about that is that now I've got a warm building to wait in that has a toilet. <laughs> that's amazing. I get to start right after the elite women. So that's like two hours earlier than I thought I was going to be able to start. So oh I, my I gosh! Think really happy too. Yeah. So they're going to pick us up. I think, does that give you? Yeah. yeah. Does that give you extra time? Because yeah. I think I thought the six-hour limit was after the last wave starts, so that might give you some extra time too. That's true. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. and then, and I talked wow. to Catherine Switzer yesterday, and I was just telling her some of this stuff. Like, I decided a couple of weeks ago I'm not going to, you know, really worry about this. Yeah, I'd like to get under six hours. But you know, if I don't, like, who's going to really care? And she said, you know, the only thing about getting under six hours is you make it into the results book. But she said, 
you don't need that. <laughs> I said, you're right. I don't need that. <laughs> so I'm going to just really go. Part of the fun of a marathon, I think, is riding whatever edge you have. My edge is going to be really slow this year, but it's riding the edge. Nevertheless, it feels exactly the same. And so that is part of the fun of the marathon. And I would never just ease up to enjoy it and just, you know, be focused on the crowds or whatever. So I'll be focused on my race, but I'm also going to enjoy the event and, and not worry about the results. Yeah, it'll, I think it'll be, I mean, you went 25 years ago, so you've experienced some of the changes of the Boston Marathon, but how, how much has changed since 50 yeah. years ago? Just exactly. like you said, there are now water stations and there are shirts and there are medals and there are, you know, so much um, infrastructure. I mean, I'm sure you've already, unless you're staying with your cousin at Hopkinton again, you can't even get a hotel. Yeah. You know, it's so hard to even get a hotel and get, no, get around in, in Boston. So um, it'll be, you know, I think it'll be exciting for you to see what it's, what it's like now in Boston. Yeah. Um, yeah, to I'm so excited to go back with my daughters and my cousin and just to have this feeling of, of being together to celebrate this really good anniversary for women. Not only the 50th anniversary of women being legal in Boston, but that was the same year that Title IX came about. And there's just so good. many wonderful things for women in these 50 years. Yeah, so many more, more than eight women on the course this year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned yeah. that you had a conversation with Catherine Switzer recently. Yeah. In addition to kind of talking about your approach to race day, uh, what else did you talk about? Oh, you know, she just does so much for women. She wants to have these bi biographies from each of the five returning women. So we, she gave us a certain number of words and we wrote one and we sent it to her. Well, now she called back and she, or she told me first on, the, on email, that we don't have to be that short. She wants to flesh it out a little bit. So she sent me a, a copy of my bio with stuff in red that she wants to know more about. So she gave me a little advance about what she wanted to know. And then we, um, we talked and, you know, she had those specific questions, but there was just a lot of just fun visiting as well. And uh, she's, uh, yeah, she's, uh, she lives in upper, uh, north of New York City and, is just redoing some stuff in her house and and it was just really fun just to get I mean I just to get to know her a little bit on a, on a personal basis I just have admired her so much uh, from afar and like I said she was just so helpful this past year when I about a year and a half ago I wrote to her and I told her I had planned to run this year and wouldn't it be fun if she joined me you know and any of the others that would want to run and I, I can understand that she said, you know, after my five years ago, she did her 50th return of her uh, attempt at running the Boston Marathon without getting pulled off the course, which she, she, of course, finished. But she said, I just worked so hard to get ready for that anniversary that nothing really could could beat that. And I can sure understand that. So she decided not to run. And then the others, I don't think, are actually running anymore. But, um, but it was just really, really something that this woman who is running this worldwide um, 261 fearless group to really encourage women all over the world, that even the ones that live in countries that where women are not encouraged to run at all. In fact, they're pretty actively discouraged sometimes. So I just see her as a very, very busy woman that still had time for my emails and my questions about training as an older athlete. <laughs> 
Yeah, we've had her on the podcast and she is so, um, like you said, just uh, a um, just genuine, genuinely interested and invested in, in getting women running, keeping women running, supporting women that run. And we see all of you who, who st stood on that start line, um, you know, the eight of you, we see all of you in that same way for women like us to be able to follow in your footsteps. So, I, you know, we would put you in that group of women. Do you talk to any of the other or have you, have you been able to talk to any of the other women or um, in well, advance of heading up to Boston? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, um, there was a podcast that included both Pat Barrett and I, and uh, it was, I think it was some people from Adina's interviewing us. So I felt like, <laughs> you want to say hello? <laughs> Here's my husband, Phil. Hi. <laughs> so anyway. Hi. Uh, <laughs> Hi, Phil. Thank you for your support. We, we heard all about your support of, of of Val's running, and we, you know, said that's sort of universal for so many women who run, especially moms. We often rely on a supportive partner to make sure that we we get that, and that's so important. So, thank you for doing that. We want to have equal opportunities for both. <laughs> Helps for a better marriage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. Being grumpy. Yeah. Wait, Phil. Phil, I have a question for you. Okay. What, what's your what's your sign going to say to support your wife and daughters on the course? <laughs> wow, that's a good uh, that's a good thing. I haven't, we haven't talked about signs. <laughs> yeah, I should probably have one. I might be at the finish line there. I'm too. just looking forward to the bottle of chocolate milk at the finish. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The finish line will be a little bit different than it was 50 years ago. It'll be a little bit more crowded, but we're, we're betting that the BAA makes sure you have a good spot. I'll have one. I'm going to do the 5K two days before. I'm going to race walk it. Yeah. Awesome. Nice. We, yeah. we hope you win your age group. No pressure. <laughs> hope you win your age group. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll probably be one of the few in my age group. You're right. Yeah. That's the way it usually is these days. Yeah. I don't know. Are these still be more people? Yeah, there might be. About 75. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you must well, be so proud. Make a good sign then between Saturday and Monday. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, maybe our listeners can give you some suggestions. We'll keep you posted, Phil, if anyone comes in with a suggestion for you for something creative. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Nice to see you, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> nice to meet you, Phil. Nice to meet you. Bye-bye. <laughs> So Val, you were talking about um, some of the other ladies that you've connected with. Um, yeah, I felt like I, um, I felt like I almost met Pat Barrett again. I just kind of got to know her ten years ago at the 40th celebration, and so it was fun to to answer some of these questions with her. So now when I see her, you know, in a couple of weeks, um, it'll be fun to say, "Nice to see you again." And then so I've had contact with Catherine Switzer, and then Sarah May Berman has kept me on an email list. So I'm kind of more tied into what's going on with some of the women runners. So that's been that's been very helpful too. So you won't miss the picture this year, right? <laughs> this year, this year you'll this year you'll be be in on the picture. So tell us, you know, you 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 mentioned earlier in your training when you were training 70 mile weeks and you know for many years that you were knock on wood you were injury free and um you seem you mentioned something about your knees but you seem healthy now and and healthy to, to finish the marathon. What what? What's your secret to to staying healthy, and especially as we age, as and as women are getting older, and and you know you you um, you alluded to before, we're getting a little bit slower as we as we get older too. What, how how do you stay healthy? What's what's your secret to to staying healthy? I think, and this has been something that's just been gradually revealed to me, uh, because about ten years ago, I was told to stop running because I was bone on bone, especially on my left knee, which is the one I've always injured. 
And I took that to heart. And so for that whole summer, I just did biking and I, I'd go to a hill and do repeat things up a hill on a bike, you know, to try to stay in shape. Well, then gradually by the next year, I thought, gee, my knee feels pretty good. I think I'll try a run. So I did one run and I felt fine. And so then I thought, well, let's not get carried away here. And so I kind of fell into a thing of just running three times a week. And I thought I'd see how long I can do that with no pain. And it worked. And so three times a week was good. And then now getting ready for the marathon, I wanted to um, you know, try to get close to that under 14 mile a minute per mile pace that would get me to the finish line under six hours. But my running was you know, so slow. And then I read one of Jeff Galloway's books. Now he's about my age, so I've been aware of this for a long time, but I didn't need it before. <laughs> but now I thought this makes sense because when I was running my 15 or 16 minute pace, it doesn't even feel like running. I don't feel coordinated. I don't feel fluid. I don't feel in, in the groove. And so by doing this and the proportion I've settled on is 30 seconds of running, 30 seconds of walking. That 30 seconds of running, I'm my old self again. I can run fast enough to be in good coordination and to feel good. And then I just walk 30 seconds so I can do it again. <laughs> so I do believe that this combination of only running three times a week and then starting the run walk is what's kept me, um, is kept me injury free. I mean, like today, I just did 21 miles yesterday and I'm I can't feel anything in my knees or anything. And that's, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> that is very awesome. Do you still um, ride your bike? Do you still cross train? No, I don't like biking very much. <laughs> but cross training is a good idea. What, what about strength training? What about strength training? For a while I was doing so well on that. I, I really, to really be good, I got to go to a class. And I had a really good class when we lived up in Moose Lake, Minnesota, this tiny little town. But now we've moved to Minneapolis. I'm, we're living in our daughter's duplex. She's my landlord. <laughs> and, and there are opportunities here for a class, but I just haven't found one that feels good to me and that's a, a good use of my time. And so I do try to do things on my own, you know, some planks and some V-sets and everything. Um, and then, oh, I started a, uh, some foot exercises that include very, uh, very shallow squats um, on one leg that uh, that Phil found and so that's been helpful but I have to say my strength training really didn't keep going the way I thought it would before this race <laughs> I mean there's only so much time in the day and 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 we we understand but what just uh for purposes of just what we've seen, those who go into a training cycle with a lot of strength training under their belt, it still counts, even if you're not able to maintain it in the same manner. So it sounds yeah. like you really set yourself up for success. And we really love what you shared about the Galloway method, because um, what you're also saying to us is that it's a lot of it is about running form. And if you do find that your form ends up being compromised through uh, change in pace, this is a great solution to ensure that your form remains true to what you and your cadence and your efficiency, because of course that's very important when running a marathon, you want to be as efficient as possible. That's, um, that's a good point. Uh, in fact, I think he brings that out in his book that all of us have a, a pace where we are the most efficient. And I just couldn't maintain that for long enough to get the value out of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So what advice do you have for, I mean, we, we coach a lot of runners. We know a lot of runners. We, we are those runners ourselves that are, are getting older and our times are slipping and we're not hitting the PRs. What advice do you have to stay motivated? What keeps you motivated? What keeps you coming back, even though you may not, you know, be setting any records? <laughs> That's for sure. Well, in this case, just the excitement of being there. And as I get older, I really love revisiting history. I mean, looking at my old photo books and looking at pictures of the kids growing up. And, and so just being in that place again and remembering and celebrating what has happened in those 50 years is more than enough of motivation to go back to Boston. But to keep, um, to keep motivated to run later when I get you know home, I think mostly I just remember um, just how good I feel about myself when I'm doing this, even if it's hard to step out the door. And it's just, um, um, I, I just really appreciate it. And then of course, using it to get ready for other things. Uh, Phil and I have started um, long distance hiking while well, we started about 15 years ago, uh, doing the Appalachian Trail and the uh, Camino in Spain. And then we have a really nice trail here in Minnesota called the Superior Hiking Trail. And so the running really helped get in shape for that. And then that helps get in shape for running. And so it's a nice uh, synergistic effect, I think. I think what um, you said about running, making us feel good. I think that's why we all do it. That's mm -hmm. why we should all do it in the first place. And a lot of us found running because it gave us that something to feel proud about, something to work towards, something to feel good about. It gives you that runner's high after you do it. So I think that's such a such an important part of whatever our paces are, whatever our performance is in races, that we can still have that, where we can still feel that that confidence and that satisfaction from getting something done. That's such a that's such an important lesson for all of us to remember as we as we move through our, our careers in in running and um, and you know to be grateful for having what that ability to get get to the start line and, and make it make it to the finish line. Exactly, exactly. And I think this year especially, I've erred a bit in in under preparation because my main goal was to make it to the start line, and then hopefully I can make it to the start line and you know have a semi uh, okay time making it to the finish line. But, um, but yeah, you have to kind of pick what's important. And to me this year, it was more important to get to the start than to really have some super training that might, you know, give me a 530 instead of a six, you know. <laughs> Very wise, Val. So for those who are heading up to Boston to race, is there any, are you doing any events or speaking at any events or appearing at any events before the actual marathon? And if so, how can people attend those and, and see you. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. I only really know of one, and that is the Sunday before the race uh, in the Copley Commons. They're having an outdoor event. And that's um, um, that is from 1:30 to 2 o'clock in the Copley Outdoor Commons. And that that's the eight women that are um, on the honor team. So they have they've chosen women that. Um, that have made an impact on women in all kinds of areas of life. And, and it's, um, and so they're not like known for being marathoners. They're just have done other wonderful things for women. Well, then they let me be one of the eight. So that was really nice. As so, they should. Of course you should be. <laughs> of course you should. <laughs> so the eight of us will be there um, outdoors. And there's probably other events too, but I think some things are just kind of unfolding. And that's the only one I really know of for sure. 
Okay, well, we will make sure to link that in our show notes for our listeners. Um, there are many folks that will be very interested in attending that event, and um, we will absolutely be there as well. We would love oh, to meet you in person. I'll get and, to meet you in person. Wonderful. Yes, we would just love to meet you, and it has been such a pleasure to speak with you, Val. Uh, you did not disappoint. We knew you'd be just so wonderful to talk with, and we feel like you're already an old friend. So not old, old. I mean, old like yeah. longtime friend. I, I knew that. Are so useful, and um, we have no doubt that you will finish strong. No doubt. So in the meantime, best of luck uh, as you navigate the last few weeks of training and safe travels to Boston. We can't wait to meet you there, and we are so grateful for your time today and appreciative that you are sharing your story with our listeners who will undoubtedly gain a lot of information and appreciate all of your wisdom and advice. So thank you, Val, for joining us today and Phil, and we look forward to seeing you on Boston weekend. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for the work you do with women in the DC area. That's, that's wonderful. You're so welcome. Thank you, Val. Bye-bye. Have a good, good taper. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the run farther and faster Boston marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.